0: Welcome to the Everyday Neuro podcast series. I'm your host, Dr. Janine Cooper, and I'm aiming to provide you with knowledge and inspiration into understanding the fascinating world of the human brain. Today's podcast is dedicated to understanding anxiety. Once we have discussed the symptoms, I will provide helpful ways in which anxiety in the workplace or about your job once away from the office can be reduced to improve your well-being and productivity. And I'll use a real-life scenario to illustrate how these strategies can be beneficial when employed. So let's start by defining anxiety. Although many of us experience moments of anxiety at various points in our life, it is good to be able to identify what it is as it helps to name, process and find ways to manage and reduce its impact on our everyday well-being and our activities. So anxiety is a negative mood state which is characterized by bodily symptoms of physical tension and apprehension about the future. It's very common and using US data, the lifetime risk of an anxiety disorder is approximately 25%. It's very, very adaptive though, as it keeps us safe and helps us to avoid danger. And if we look back into the evolutionary basis of anxiety, then it allowed us to be aware of danger in the environment and to remain within a social group. It is a negative mood state and within a 12-month period, one in four adults has an episode of anxiety. So what are the symptoms of anxiety? Well, they include changes to our physiology that can then impact on our cognitive processes or the way in which we think and vice versa. Let's have a look at some of the physical signs of anxiety first. A major change is in an increase in our heart rate and blood pressure. As a result, our blood clots faster, our pupils dilate, and we may break into a sweat. Muscles become tense and digestion alters, leading to feelings of butterflies or nerves. Changes to our bladder and bowel function may also occur and we can often feel the need to visit the bathroom or have a growling stomach. Breathing intensifies and we can often feel panicked and have palpitations. As a result of these changes, there is a direct effect on our ability to think and we can often find it very difficult to focus our thoughts. Now, does this sound familiar to you? I know that I have experienced this, as have most people, Why don't you try and think of an instance where you suddenly feel your heart thumping and your hands and body parts becoming hot, your limbs may shake and your voice can become wobbly and your mouth maybe becomes dry. Often this can occur before a meeting or a presentation and it can be really uncomfortable especially the fear of being overwhelmed by these symptoms in front of colleagues which then can cause further distress. However, the good news is that the purpose of this podcast, along with taking the anxiety workshop, which I'll talk to you about more in a moment, is that we can use our propensity to become anxious to our advantage. I know this might sound surprising, but we just need to know the strategies and mechanisms that can help us to manage these symptoms. One of these, as I have discovered, is by having a greater understanding of anxiety But before I go any further, I would like to tell you some exciting news that the Everyday Neuro online workshops are now available to book via a secure portal called Try Booking. So if you have been enjoying the podcasts, I really hope you have, then you should check out the workshops as they allow me to expand on the topics that I've discussed with you so far. So, for example, if your interest is in anxiety, then the ideal workshop for you would be the one with the code ENW03, Everyday Neuro Workshop 03, which will provide you with a lot more information about this topic that I have been unable to cover in the podcast if you're wondering what level of knowledge you need to take the workshops, then there's good news there as well. As if you're listening to the podcast, this will provide you with the base knowledge you will need. But what if you are looking for something a little bit more advanced? Perhaps you've already done an undergraduate degree in psychology, or you're at master's or postgraduate level. Then the workshops are also ideal for you because I will be using my years of knowledge as a lecturer to really create a workshop that has something to offer everybody. And of course, if you've got any questions, you can always use the contact link in the Everyday Neuro website, or you can email me me at everydayneuro at gmail.com. I hope you may consider checking out the workshops and perhaps I'll see some of you face-to-face online in them soon. So now let's get back to today's podcast. There are four main influences, namely the biological, the social, the behavioral, and finally the emotional and cognitive. In the full workshop, we will go over all four, but for this podcast, I will focus mainly on the biological and social influences of anxiety. Anxiety has a genetic component and is created by chemical messengers called neurotransmitters in our brain that affect our physiology and our thinking. Ultimately, neurotransmitter imbalance is largely responsible for us feeling anxious. Knowing about the process from the brain to our behavior can be hugely beneficial for coping and managing anxiety. Let's now name and know a bit more about these neurotransmitters. So what is a neurotransmitter? There are several. And they act as chemical messengers that allow communication to occur between the nerve cells in our brain called neurons. As neurons communicate via neurotransmitters, when they are balanced, they optimize brain function, which in turn allows our organs, glands and muscles to work effectively. They are also hugely responsible for our cognitive functions such as memory, attention and problem solving and our mood and emotional well-being. Anxiety occurs when there is an imbalance or a change in the production of a number of these neurotransmitters. These include the inhibitory or calming neurotransmitters serotonin and GABA. You may have heard of serotonin before, as it is often associated with positive well-being. But what is GABA? This acronym stands for gamma amino acid, and it helps neurons to recover after they have been activated. This recovery is associated with a reduction in anxiety, worry, and fretfulness. However, when there is not enough GABA or serotonin, then there is often an increase of feelings of anxiety. In contrast to the calming neurotransmitters, there are those that are produced to activate us so that we become motivated and alert. When balanced, norepinephrine, adrenaline, also called epiphrine, and dopamine help us to perform at our best. However, when production levels become too high, then this can lead to feelings of anxiety and the fight or flight response occurs. The brain areas linked with anxiety include the prefrontal cortex and this is the area at the front of your brain above your eye sockets. This area is associated with attention and the inhibition of anxiety. Other areas of the brain that are linked with anxiety are located in the limbic system. In particular, two crucial areas called the hippocampus, which deals with memory and learning, and the amygdala, which is responsible for your emotional drives. To imagine the location in the brain of these two key areas, imagine that you're putting your index finger in both ears and where they would potentially meet is where they reside. So how does this help us to control our anxiety? Well, first of all, knowing that these neurotransmitters are beneficial to us when balanced means that we can employ ways to create balance. One of the most effective is to change our rate of breathing by focusing on the breath and slowing the rate of inhalation and exhalation. We allow more oxygen to enter our lungs and subsequently enter our bloodstream, which is crucial for optimizing brain function. The breathing allows our heart rate to decrease and reduces many of the symptoms of anxiety. If you cannot control your breathing, then slowly sip some water. When you ingest the liquid, the body reacts and automatically takes focus away from anxious thoughts to processing the liquid. So now that we have some understanding of the biological influences, let's have a look at the social factors of anxiety. In life, especially in the workplace, there are many anxiety-provoking events and many are linked to social situations. Social anxiety is a fear of one or more social or performance situations in which a person is exposed to possible scrutiny by others. Often a person may fear that they will act in a way or show anxiety symptoms that will be humiliating or embarrassing or that they fear that they'll be judged negatively by others. Social anxiety eliciting situations include one-on-one encounters with people that you may find attractive, conversations with strangers and particularly in the workplace, interactions with authority figures being the focus of attention in a small group and also evaluative situations. To help provide support for how to manage social anxiety such as this, I will use a real-life example of Joe, who feels anxious when leaving home due to extreme fear regarding self-presentation. Joe constantly fears that people are judging them in a negative light. Joe may well have biological causes for this anxiety, as we have discussed earlier, but they may also have learned via the environment from non-supportive relationships and observing anxiety in others, such as in family members or friends. Indeed, social anxiety can often stem from childhood or earlier life experiences of negative judgment when asked to perform or work in a group. The key to overcoming this is to identify that this anxiety in part may have been learnt, and that this can be modified with strategies and by replacing anxious, most often self-generated fictitious thoughts with positive real life experiences. One great technique to use in the workplace, although daunting, is to incorporate role play. If a person is anxious about presenting, then opportunities should be made whereby an authority figure, namely a manager or a team leader, actively engages with their team members and constructively provides examples for successful presentation. In the best situations, leaders provide examples not only of when things have worked well, but also when they have not and how they have overcome those problems. Critiquing with achievable solutions is far more beneficial to individual anti morale and productivity than criticism, which will only isolate and foster anxiety in the workplace. Offering this support can improve team morale, but it's crucial that all levels of the workforce are aware of their comments and actions and their effect that these have on others. But what if you feel there is a failure to communicate with your work peers and that there is little chance to foster such bonding? Perhaps you have a manager or a team leader that you feel is unapproachable. Anxiety often grows as a result of feeling like there is little support available or that there are overconfident people that will cast unpleasant judgments on you or others. In the case of Joe, they worked with exposure and rehearsal techniques with a mentor to actively challenge anxious thoughts that were not based on actual events, but rather on internalized fears and self-generated scenarios that, although imaginary, still created the physiological experience of anxiety. Once Joe had worked one-on-one with the mentor, they then worked in a small team of four people with an assigned neutral facilitator who asked each member to identify positive traits before providing a short presentation. In this way, Joe's self-esteem grew and confidence to communicate with others was enhanced. This had huge benefits in the workplace as Joe's social skills expanded and Joe felt able to effectively manage the anxious feelings. Consequently, as Joe's personal self-belief increased, so too did work relationships as often others mirror the behavior of the person they're interacting with. But what if a team leader or manager is anxious? Recent neuroscience research has proposed that the limbic system, which I mentioned earlier, is an open loop and it responds to stimuli outside of the body and tunes itself accordingly. This means that emotions can be transferable and an anxious leader may unintentionally project their anxiety to their team. By being conscious of their anxiety, team leaders and managers can use self-awareness strategies to alter their body language and comments and actively use the tendency of the brain to mirror the responses of others in a positive way to empower and build team and employee morale. The phrase lead by example is therefore relevant to building positivity in the workplace and is associated with our limbic system. If you are listening to this and would like more information about how well-being, morale and productivity can be enhanced in your workplace, then please contact me to discuss the opportunity to work together to create personalized workshops for your company or organization. So can anxiety when managed be beneficial, as I suggested at the beginning of this podcast? Joe's calm, insightful and caring nature, traits of an anxious person, helped others in the work team. And after one year, Joe was not only able to work more effectively, but also had the support of colleagues when presenting rather than feeling isolated and alone. Often anxious people are skilled at identifying potential harm as they are aware of their environment. They are also highly likely to be insightful and skilled at prospective planning and likely to be aware of the needs of others due to being highly perceptive of emotions. Suddenly, being anxious does not seem that detrimental. Rather, as in the case of Joe, identifying, exploring and learning ways to manage anxiety has made this mood beneficial to performance and well-being, both in and outside of the workplace. So I will conclude this podcast by reinforcing that although anxiety is a completely normal response, when levels become too high, then it can be negative and unhelpful to us. However, when at the correct level, it can be hugely beneficial to performance. One of the main messages from this podcast is that with the use of appropriate behavioral strategies, we can learn to manage the symptoms of anxiety. However, there are instances where anxiety can just become too great to manage in the ways that we've discussed in this podcast. If that's the case, then visiting the general practitioner is a good way to start the process of receiving additional support. Anxiety is one of the most treatable of the mood disorders. Seeking professional support can be hugely beneficial to reducing the impact of anxiety on well-being and activities of daily living. In today's podcast, I've only given a brief account of ways to manage anxiety levels in the workplace. Should you wish to seek more information about this topic, then please look at ENW03 and book a place in the workshop. I'm really delighted to see that some of you have already booked a place in the workshops that are on offer, and I'm really looking forward to seeing and working with you soon. It's really great to see that so many of you are listening to these podcasts and that some of you are subscribing via iTunes, or you can even get the podcast directly from the Everyday Neuro website. So that's everydayneuro.com.au forward slash podcasts. I also would love to hear from you and receive your thoughts and feedback. You can either use the contact page on the website or you can directly email, as I said earlier, at everydayneuro at gmail.com. So thanks again for joining me and as always, please take really good care of that wonderful brain of yours and I hope you can join me again for another episode of the Everyday Neuro podcast series. Take care.